This Tennis.com podcast is brought to you by ASICS. Sound mind, sound body. You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, everybody. Tennis.com Podcast. French Open Preview Week starts now. It only intensifies as the days go on on Tennis.com. You'll see that with a lot of things on the site. We're here with Peter Bodo, Richard Pagliaro. We're going to talk about the last big clay event um, although I guess Brussels is now the new Rome, as you say, as we'll get into in a while. Uh, we're talking about Rome, which just ended last week. Uh, Maria Sharapova wins the women's title. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. First, Novak Djokovic wins. You know, you can throw out the numbers as I wrote, like 39th match in a row, seventh title of the year, second win over Nadal on clay, which hasn't been done by anybody. Um, since he started playing, the numbers just go on and on with him. So I ask you guys, since this was another straight sets win over Nadal on clay, what do you think? What did you see as the main differences between this win of Djokovic's and the one in Madrid last week? I thought, first of all, having to bounce back from that really epic with Murray, where he had to come back physically and mentally, and he, gosh, he it was astounding to me that it didn't at least go three. I mean, he looked even more decisive. Nadal played better, I thought, and uh, he really battled him, but God, Djokovic, that back, that Nadal forehand into the Djokovic backhand, it's not phasing him in the slightest. And it, and it really seems like, uh, I've watched many of Djokovic's matches this week, they were mostly the night match there, which I think uh, Rome was very happy for him to win with their Sergio Zucchini line, uh, getting quite a bit of play there, of course, but I saw, you know, most of his matches, and it just seemed like against Nadal, I mean, he saved his best shots for this match, the most important match. He got through some others, you know, very comfortably. He had another another pair of, you know, 6-0, 6-1 sets going on there. But really, his best match was the last one after this long Murray match that we'll get into, and it just shows that how incredible a run he's playing right now. So His appetite is really impressive. You know, you, know you, you wonder, when does it quit? When does a guy say, well, okay, I've had enough. This, I had a great run. I'm really kind of tired. I had this, horrib- you know, this, this horribly you know, draining match with Murray. Nadal, it's clay. And Rome and Nadal, you know, I mean, all right, let me, let me just get, get out of here and, and get ready for Paris. But the guy just, you know, it, it's almost supernatural in terms of the kind of stamina he has. And, you know, there's an interesting lesson in it because that's what young people are. Young people do things like that. You know, young people can do that. They can go run on fumes, you know, 21, 22 years old. You know, can, you know imagine a Roger Federer, for instance, you know, having to, to go through a grind like that. You know, there's, there's, just, there's just something about that that it's like the physics doesn't matter. The biology doesn't matter. They can get through it as long as they don't get injured. Yeah, and he played, uh, you know, before even Madrid, he played the event in Belgrade that – He's obviously going to play in Serbia, so this is this is essential. Even though he he won three titles these past three weeks, it's almost the same length of a run as he did from going to Indian Wells in Miami. He basically played a month of tennis and didn't lose for the second time in three months. So I want to wait till September and October when people start complaining about how long the season is and how much they play and how tough it is to go out there and play. Because you know this is one of those great cases where you say, you know what, you know maybe this sport isn't quite as hard as some people want to make it sound when you're cranky and upset and, and, you know, maybe having had the greatest years, you know, um, 
You know, this is, you know, physically what Djokovic has done has been extraordinary. He also, I mean, emotionally, looking at looking at how he's playing in the final, the second set, and he's going down on changeovers, and, he, and he's, you know, yelling rapturously like, you know, it's a guy that I think, I think a lot of people have been swept up in this run of his, of course, and it seems like he is also kind of embracing this run. I think it's it's not a thing where he's kind of growing. I mean, he's probably obviously a little bit tired, but he's going out there, and I think he really wants to keep this going as long as he can. Hey, especially Richard, do you before... think he's going to take number one? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think he will. And also, especially because before a major, you see a lot of players sometimes, hey, I'd rather take a loss. I don't want to go in to a big, big tournament on a roll like that, thinking, you know, maybe it's maybe you're setting yourself up or something. But this guy, it's just, as you said, just completely undiminished. I mean, the, the role just keeps going, and he looks so poised and never looks stressed. And this is a guy, remember, with the breathing and with that. I mean, he would almost find ways to tap out of matches earlier in his career, but the maturity is is really impressive. If he, and if he took a loss, it would have been to Andy Murray, based on what we saw. It would not have been a bad loss by any stretch of the word, even though... Nobody's confusing Murray with like a clay court genius, but this is his second final, semifinal in a Masters clay event this year, and uh, you know, he hit the ball as cleanly as I can remember hitting it. Got a, a ton of you know, penetration on the court like this that's sometimes known as notoriously slow. He was serving for the match, uh, but Murray, you know, it just wasn't his day, I guess, in the end. He, he almost has sort of reminded me early on in his career now of... Uh, Maybe his other Andy, Andy Roddick, a guy who always plays these great, memorable matches, but you know doesn't get over the hump all that often. Well, at least the guy showed up this time, huh? I yeah, mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it wasn't like the yeah. Australian Open final. Yeah, yeah, that was right against Djokovic too. And he, if he played that way in Melbourne, that might have been a different. Just story if you're going to get broke serving for it, you hate to see those double faults come. You know, just just for the future, you hate to see him double fault like that. At I those never liked that serve much. Yeah, I don't. It always I'm, looks like I he's off either. balance. Yeah. Like he's going to fall over to the it's side. A little or too something. flat, too. You know. I, 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 not a big believer in that. But that's another thing. Like, how many guys can run, you know, side to side with Nadal and Murray? You're talking about two of the quickest guys in the game. And Joker, I mean, his athleticism is is just exceptional. That's what was really striking to me in this final, by the way. You know, looking at when you asked before about Madrid, Richard fielded that one. But when I, you know, you know, when I was watching that match, I was thinking, you know what? I was watching Nadal hit the ball and, like, where I was watching what Djokovic was doing and moving, how he was moving when Nadal was hitting the ball, and like his anticipation Which was just incredible. Even yeah, yeah. He was basically it was like you know as soon as Nadal lined up to hit, as soon as he started his, his motion, his racket head uh, started forward. Djokovic was already starting for the right spot, you know, which was proven to be the right spot. And Nadal, many a time when he was, I mean, he was on the full stretch most time for right. a lot of those balls, and just, I mean, Djokovic sort of just like before just defining how the rally was going and all that. And so. some of the big points, Djokovic is almost baiting him to hit the forehand down the line. He's almost saying, go for it. And Nadal is just not as comfortable. You could see when the confidence isn't at its peak because he just doesn't want to hit that. And when he does, Djokovic just get, he like Pete said, he reads it. He's getting to it. He's used to Federer, you know, that right-hander. He's yeah. looking at yeah. the right-hander's yeah. backhand saying, yeah. mm, I'm exactly. going yeah. with this. So the next event he's going to play is, is Roland Garros, of course, and we'll get into that, you know, Later this week on Friday when the draws come out, but uh, do, do you, we talk? We can do a podcast during the draws. Oh, we're gonna do have it. We'll have it going. Don't you worry about right. that. So, but what do you? I mean, do you put him as, despite all Nadal's accomplished the past six years, is he the favorite over Nadal at the French Open in your mind? You bet. What about? Yeah, you? I got to agree. I mean, it's it's it almost sounds borderline blasphemous to say that about a guy who's won five French Opens and is going for his six, but. 
if you've watched these matches, the way he's not only beat them, but he's handled them, I think you got to put him. I mean, I'm by no means would I discount Nadal, but if you're asking me to pick the favorite, I, I got to give Djokovic the edge right now. Well, there's also a difference between picking a favorite, which is basically means extending the respect and courtesy a guy's earned, and saying who do you think is going to win. Uh, we, we'd prefer not to answer that question. Yeah, probably yeah. for a couple of days, we'll probably have to answer it for you folks next next week. But you know, I mean, there is a difference there. You're saying, look, the guy who's favorite going is going to be him, but it's pretty hard to see a guy like Nadal, you know, not. No, and then you're factoring in it through best of five too. You know, you yes. wonder if the accumulation is ever going to. Well, catch that's up really to been them. the big thing. It's it's kind of like um, I think what you wrote, Pete, yesterday is that the ammunition that's left from the people who are you know taking still still backing the doll over Djokovic in this whatever way you feel is that the last stronghold is this best of five format that's going to be put to the test in you know in a couple of weeks. And I'm I'm. I'm obviously hoping for a uh, an Adal Djokovic final. I think I think it's it would be kind of a crime if they didn't play after what's happened the past two weeks and everything. So you know we'll see what happens then. And I'd love to see Djokovic get the streak. <clears throat> much as I much as I like John McEnroe's game and and what he's done, you know, I mean, I think I think it'd be kind of cool to have him get that streak. I never thought anybody was going to get it, especially because the way it goes over these two segments now, the the clay and the hard. Right, the overla- yeah. I think if he wins, if he reaches the semis, is that correct? Then he's got it. I then think he's that's got right. it. Yep. And also that his streak includes a major, too, whereas John did, you know. The longest professional tennis match lasted 11 hours, 5 minutes, and took more than 3 days to finish. During the match, there were 980 total points played, 138 games, 2,189 strokes, and 489 backhands. And combined, the players spent over 11 hours on their feet. Just imagine how much longer they could have gone if they were wearing the Asics Gel Resolution 3. With a Flexion Fit Upper for extra stability, it's engineered to go deep into the fifth set. Asics. Sound mind, sound body. So this was a memorable Rome tournament on the men's side. And, and the women's side, uh, you have Maria Sharapova coming through Two of the top French Open contenders, many people would say, in Carolyn Wozniacki in the semis and then Sam Stozer in the final, winning in straight sets. You know, a lot of people have kind of questioned Sharapova for a while after her coming up from the shoulder injury. It's more about the issue of consistency and you're waiting to see when that serve breaks down. You know, in the past few months, she's reached the semis of Indian Wells, the final in Miami, and now has won the title in Rome. I guess what's to start? What do you kind of make of her going forward? Like, is she, uh, you know, someone we can trust? Really, is how I put it. What do you think guys think about that? I think she probably is now. I mean, you know, what 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 impresses me about her is that this was a very big title. I mean, you know, it's premier mandatory. Everybody, you know, pretty much was playing, and for her to win this, this, you know, I mean, if someone asked you a couple months ago. Okay, Sharpov is going to win a tournament in the next six months. What's she going to win? You know, you pick something maybe like Stanford or you know, or, or another hardcore tournament like that. But you know, for her to do it here, it's that's that was a pretty big statement. I, I'm I'm impressed, and I think I think if if she's ever going to get over this sort of yips that she's had with the serving problems and some of those unforced error, horrible blue streaks of that, I think if she's ever going to get over it, this would be the time. It's true because I mean, the impressive nature of this week's title is that on clay, she's going to get. She's going to be forced to hit more balls, and she obviously has a huge just risk-reward game where a lot of times you feel like you're just kind of, if you can kind of wait her out, it, it might you know it might end up going in her opponent's favor. I really liked when I was watching the final just her movement on the, on the court um, against Stozer. Stozer did not play a great match by any means, but... Surprise, surprise. Yeah, well, 
it's uh, just like last year's French final. It's going to be the same thing. So, but Sharapo, I thought moved very, very well in this match and did, you know, kind of balance the, you know, the hard hitting with, you know, good clay, sensible play here. And uh, she really didn't serve too bad either, which was, you know, the biggest knock against her, I think, altogether. So, um, and like I said, she played Wozniacki in the previous round, won that in straight sets. I, I think Richard saw that one. I think you saw a little bit of that. Yeah, and Wozniacki yeah. was up 3-1 in the second, and you're thinking, geez, maybe this will go three. And then once Maria found the range and the rhythm, she just started belting the ball. And I think those two matches for me showed, you know, in Stoser, sh- sure, she's exceptional on clay, but she does not want to hit a backhand. And Wozniacki on clay, she'll leave the forehand short, whereas Maria is just more balanced off the backhand and forehand. And I think you pointed out it in the... Uh, and the racket reaction servant for that title, she hit that running forehand, the short angle. That was just a brilliant to, to yeah, just have the guts to go for it and then make it on top of it in that situation. That's what separates her to me from a Stoser or a Wozniacki that she's going to pull a trigger and she's not afraid to miss. She'll come back and fire again. And that yeah, takes mean, a lot of guts. Night is day difference between those two in that regard and all that. One interesting thing with both Sharapova and, and Djokovic, I think, on clay is that the clay gives you a little more time. So everybody knows that that puts a little more, you know, a little more longer rally. You've got to be a little more patient. You're not going to hit as many winners. But it also gives the shot makers time. You know, a guy like Djokovic has got such a clean stroke. You know, that, that extra millisecond or whatever it is that he gets to really line up and, and – and hit the ball is devastating. I think it's true of Sharapova too. If they're on their games, that clay can really, really help a player like that. If sure. they're off their games, it'll hurt them because they won't have the patience. They'll make the, the mistake earlier. But boy, you know, you get that extra half step, that extra little, little longer look, and watch out because it can load it up and really hit the patience. And we saw that a few years ago with Ivanovic. She's not going to remind anyone of a Sanchez Vicario in the movement, but when she had time to line the forehand, I mean, she just hit right through that field. You know, so it's not out of the question that Sharapova, and she's a winner. I mean. I mean, you, you, you know that. Yeah, the experience so, is definitely a count for something there. And, you know, this Sharapova win, this is just another sort of player you can kind of mark up as possible champion you can see at the front show. I mean, whatever your thoughts are, it's just another player. It's not a, two, it's not a two-man race like it's in the ATP. Right. It's clearly a wide-open field. This week on the site, we were going to be showing uh, kind of a number of these selections of ours throughout the week, starting today with Pete's piece, touchdown Kvitova, Yankovic, Pekovic. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's any stretch to say that there's about 15 or 20 different contenders that no one would be surprised at if they won the French. Um, you know, like I said, before we get to there, is there anybody with the clay season more or less through, is there anyone you kind of might want to handicap as your possible French pick at this point? I'm torn right now between I'm torn right now between picking Kvitova or Wozniak, neither of whom are like obvious choices necessarily. I kind of like Wozniak because she struggled a little bit now, and I think I think it's it's her time. She's going to have to do something here in terms of winning a slab. All right, granted, it's not the end of the world if she does not win a French Open, but you know that that whole narrative of number one without a slam, you know, that's been around for a while since you know since she finished been, number yeah, one. Yeah, it's been a little while now. She did okay in Australia. You know, you can't say she played a lot. She did not do a Yankovic, for instance, in Australia. But, you know, and then, you know, she was sort of really on track there, and now she's really struggled a little bit, and she's going into the French Open. I think she's going to go in, I think, with a lot of pressure, but a really a big opportunity to say, look, all right, this is my moment. I've got to take this moment. It's going to be interesting to see how she handles that. Yeah, we got, um, let's see, Wozniacki, like you're saying, like we were talking about before, this Brussels thing. She's playing this week in, uh, in, there you go. in yeah, Brussels there you amongst Zvonareva. 
Kvitova. It's uh, I want to hear Richard's an, pick, though, on this one. It's an interesting decision. I was game. hoping to squirm my way out of that one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. He's ready to take the headphones <laughs> off. He's got, he's got the skull and crossbones on his shirt, and uh, he's pulling out the... Uh... He really does. I was going to let you, but Pete's not going to let you. So what do you think? Give us your choice. Jeez, Give us your Monday it's, choice. It's such a tough, tough call. Because, I, I mean, I can see what you're saying with Wozniak, even though someone like Gorgas or Sharpova can hit her off the court. She's usually in every single match. And when you give yourself a shot, in every single match, I mean, you you can't discount her. I, God, I don't. It's such a tough call. I don't know what Clysters is going to bring to the table because she just hasn't played in so long. Hey, I think if you're looking for maybe a longer shot, Kvitova is 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 a good pick. I yeah, think. it's I good mean, pick. Kvitova, yeah, especially really, with the, really wanting to pick when she's banging she that lefty serve on the ad side, she's taking you right off the court. I mean, and she's already been to a major semi. She's someone that'll two majors, right, right, two, right. And a lot of people, you know, uh, I mean, people in tennis know about her, but a lot of people that just sort of vaguely follow the game don't even look at her, so she can fly under the radar. A I bit. would like to pick Azarenka, but. I think there's just as many reasons to pick against her as anybody else, and I think that serve of hers is really a, a dodgy thing. I think that's kind of be, gradually gotten worse over time now. There's news today Kim Kleisters is playing. It would be sort of fitting for this whole past couple of years WTA narrative if Kleisters just up and won this tournament. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you, know, you never know with her anymore. She's hurt. She's not hurt. She's winning this. She's winning that. She's going to retire. She's going to have another baby. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. We'll I mean, she, see. she certainly could do it. But uh, And she's she's been awfully close before, that's for sure. Yeah. And then there's someone like Kuznetsova, who we all write her off around, and she just comes out of nowhere. And can you know, and she's won there before. She's been to multiple finals, but she's another ahead, one. You better slow that boy down, because he's going to be calling for a Kuznetsova <laughs> Schiavone <laughs> final. <laughs> well, Schiavone, I'm going to be calling for something That'd with Schiavone. Yeah. yeah. Never go, yeah. All right. Come back on Friday. We'll have our actual previews when the draws are out, our picks, all the good stuff. Thanks for listening. For Richard Pagliaro, Pete Boat on Ben McGrogan, Tennis.com. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 